today's scripture is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of a deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. There is a statue in Tuskegee. Many of you have probably seen if you've been there on the campus, Tuskegee University was erected and dedicated in, 19, in um, 1922 when Booker T. Washington The Holy Spirit caught me on that one. I'm like, wait a minute. That can't be right. No. 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 We were right. We were right. It was 1922. Erected and dedicated. It's not 1822. Can't be 1822, because slavery ended in 1865. <laughs> Talk to me. <laughs> it is 1922. Okay. Know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Bob, I studied history. <laughs> 1922. This. Uh, Statue was erected and dedicated to Booker T. Washington. It is a statue that is an impressive thing of Booker T. Washington lifting, as it were, covering or a veil from over the head of a young man, thus allowing that young man to come into the light, to lift the veil of ignorance as it was. Because, you see, Booker T. Washington had dedicated his life to, to lifting what he thought was the veil of darkness. 
over the hearts and minds of young African Americans. And he wanted to lift the dark effects of, of slavery. And there's an inscription on the statue that reads, a race like an individual lifts itself by lifting others. If Isaiah had been commissioned to erect a statue this morning, from Isaiah chapter 9, perhaps he might picture God. God, as it were, lifting the veil of darkness and gloom from over the hearts and the minds of his people, indeed, of all creation. And the inscription might read something like this. A nation or even individuals are lifted when God lifts the veil of darkness and shines his everlasting light. This is what we see in Isaiah chapter 9. It's what we witnessed in Isaiah chapter 9 as chapter 8 ended. The Bible tells us that there was a darkness. And there was a darkness that had descended upon Judah. And it was a deep darkness. It was a darkness that was due to the fact that the Assyrians had assaulted them and had made things dark and desperate. They had come, assaulted them, and conquered them, and things looked gloomy. And the outlook was not promising. The Assyrians were not friendly neighbors. They were terrorists. And what they conquered, they destroyed. This was a bad situation. And the thing about the situation is that the situation was not just bad. But the situation went from bad to worse. It was a bad situation made worse because King Ahaz made a terrible decision. And a difficult situation was made worse. We all know how that works. We all know how that works. We are faced with a difficult situation. And then rather than doing what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14, rather than seek help and godly counsel, what do we do? We act out of fear, not faith. We are quick to speak and slow to listen. And because we take our own counsel, Rather than seeking godly counsel, we make a bad situation worse. This is what Ahaz does. This is Ahaz in a nutshell. This is King Ahaz in a nutshell. He was in a tough position. He made it worse. The Assyrians were attacking, and because of his decision... 
not to trust God and rather to take his own counsel and align with the pagan nations. Not only now were there Syrians against Ahaz and Judah, but so too now was God. Now it's one thing, beloved, to experience the darkness of human judgment. How much more is the spiritual darkness that comes as a result of God's judgment against you? That's when it really gets dark. I mean, that's when the deep darkness ascends. That was the point that Jesus raised when he made the rhetorical point in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 23. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's one thing for the light outside of you to be dark. But what happens when the darkness descends upon the soul? How great is that darkness? What is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. The absence of light. Biblically speaking, it is principally a reminder of the blindness that characterizes ignorance, the blindness that characterizes injustice, the blindness that characterizes sin, the darkness that comes in death. In the Bible, the darkness is a realm. It is a domain. It is a kingdom. It is a kingdom of Satan out of which people must be rescued and redeemed. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, the Bible says, For he has rescued us from where? The kingdom of darkness. Because darkness is a realm. It is a kingdom. It is a domain. It is a kingdom and a domain that has come into the world as a result of sin. And spreads. When Adam and Eve sinned, they caused a veil a cloud of darkness to descend upon all creation in general, but on the hearts and minds of men and women in particular. This darkness ascended, descended. Not just on creation, but the darkness descended upon the mind and the hearts of humanity. And from their act in the garden, this darkness descended, manifesting itself in rebellion, 
disobedience, division, and death. With increasing intensity. So that Cain, their son, would rise up and kill Abel, his brother. The darkness only got worse and worse and worse and worse until you get to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. And you know what the Bible says? The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. The darkness had spread. It had intensified. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. All all the time. And that became the precursor for the flood. But you know what, beloved? Even after the flood, The darkness of sin, unrighteousness, and death continue to grow, to grow, to grow, to grow. So even when we come to our text in Isaiah chapter 8 and Isaiah chapter 9, we are reminded that here is still the evidence of this dark veil that rests upon the world that rests upon the hearts and minds of men and women, the evidence of Judah's blindness, spiritual blindness, the darkness, the gloom, the rebellion, the sin, the death. So that you see in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, and they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Thick darkness. Then IV says, utter darkness. This is Judah. Because of their rebellion. This is King Ahaz because of his disobedience. The darkness has come. This is the kind of darkness out of which there is no hope. This is the kind of darkness out of which you don't find help. Because their darkness and despair was great. Not only because of the Assyrians, beloved. Don't forget, it wasn't just the Assyrians that were against them. More tragically and more importantly, it was God who was against them. This is the point to remember. This is the point never to forget, beloved. Judah, like the world, had a God problem. 
The Assyrians weren't the problem. They had a God problem. Their problem wasn't just the Assyrians were in the neighborhood. Their problem is that God wasn't. It was God. God was the problem. And listen to me. If you don't hear anything else this morning, you hear this. When you have a God problem, only God can solve a God problem. You can take counsel with all and who you want to take counsel with. When you have a God problem, only God can solve a God problem. And beloved, that's what God does. That's what God does. This is who God is. This is the mercy and kindness of a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. God solves God problems. Our sin creates a God problem. Only God can solve it. Our rebellion creates a God problem. Only God can solve it. There is no salvation unless God does something. There is no redemption unless God moves. There is no rescue unless God comes. There is no light unless God brings it. There is no light in that darkness unless God turns it on. And you know what? That's what God does. That's what God does. Into a world that has totally descended into darkness. God comes and turns the light on. Into a life that has descended into utter darkness. God comes and turns the light on. Notice what it says in chapter 9. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. No, it won't, beloved. It won't go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. And the people, and the people who walk in darkness, what's going to happen? They will see a great light for those who live in the land of deep darkness. 
a light will shine. That's the promise of God. The light is coming. The light is coming. The light is coming. We like to call it what? The light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, no, beloved. We're not moving toward it. It's moving toward us. The light is coming. It's coming through the tunnel. It's breaking through. It's coming to us. The light of God. What is the antidote for darkness? Light. The first word spoken in the Bible, beloved, the very first words spoken in the Bible are those of God when he said to an earth covered in darkness in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. What did he say? Let there be light. Why? He brings it. He brings the light in the darkness. When it is dark, beloved, guess what has to happen? Somebody has to come and turn the light on. Someone has to, light to, has to let the light in. This is what God does. This is who God is. This is what he does. This is who he is. The people, verse, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is one of the most glorious and profound and wonderful pronouncements in all of the Old Testament. Those in darkness will not be in darkness anymore. Why? Because God is going to come and like Booker T. Washington, he's going to lift the veil. He's going to lift the veil. He's going to bring the light. And those who are ignorant, they will not be ignorant anymore. Those who are oppressed will not be oppressed anymore. Those who are poor will not be poor anymore. Those who are blind will not be blind anymore. The light will come. And you know what the light is? The light of God is increase. It's increase. He makes things better and he makes it more. More. Look at verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Why? Because when the light comes, so comes the increase. Life gets better. Because life gets, life gets more, more full, more joy, more peace. Why? Because God never operates at a deficit. God never operates at a deficit. He always measures an increase. God 
always measures an increase. And the light of God brings more. Always brings more. More light means more grace, more kindness, more mercy, more goodness. He will enlarge his people. The kingdom will increase. The joy increases. There is an increase in faith. God's kingdom, beloved, is an ever-increasing kingdom. I don't care how it looks. I don't care how it looks with the naked eye. When the light comes, so comes the increase. Knowledge. Understanding. Increase in faith. Increase in love. Ever-increasing faith. Ever-increasing love. Don't laugh at that, Scott. I know what you're thinking about. It is ever-increasing faith, though. Ever-increasing faith. That's the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. He didn't make that up. That's the Bible says. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3. You, we are always... To thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing, what? More and more. And the love of all of you have for one another is doing what? Increasing. That's what the light of God does. Brings increase. Brings more and more. And more. That's how you know that people are walking in the light. How do you know somebody's walking in the light? They're increasing in their joy. They're increasing in their love. They're increasing in their faith. It's increase. The light of God is increase. But you know what the light of God is also? The light of God is freedom. The light of God is freedom. Notice what it says in verses 4 and 5. For as in the day of Median's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar crossed their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood would be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. Why is that important, beloved? That is important because the darkness is a burden. The presence of the Assyrian army and the presence of the Assyrians in Judah is an oppression. It is a darkness. It is a burden. It is a weight upon the backs of God's people. The presence of God brings the light of God, piercing the darkness, and the light of God breaks every chain. I said breaks every chain. Breaks every chain. Breaks every chain. Release burdens. Break chains. I want you to hear me this morning. I want you to hear me this morning. I was going over this message this morning. 
And I was praying. And I was like, Lord, I pray that chains would be broken. That people, that your people would know that your light has come and he is here and he breaks chains. He relieves burdens. He comes and takes the weight. He breaks every chain. By the light of God's grace, listen to this. By the light of God's grace, the instruments of the enemy are broken. They are broken and they are burned. Say broken and burned. Broken and burned. Broken and burned. The objects of your oppression, broken and burned. The tools of your soul torture, broken and burned. The devices of your despair, broken and burned. The shame of your sin and the gloom of your guilt, gone. Broken, broken, broken and burned. Broken and burned this morning, beloved. It's what the light of God does. What the light of God does. Then in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Why? Because you belong to him. The power of the life-given spirit has freed you freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The life of God is freedom. Sets you free. Set us free. Breaks every chain. Breaks every chain. Breaks every chain. That's the light of God. The light of God is freedom. And that freedom comes in the form of a person. We're not talking about theory here, beloved. God didn't send the theory. The light that he talks about comes in a person. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. For us creatures... For us mere mortals, for us creatures, light is a principle, a proposition 
that directs our understanding and reasoning. And that's how we talk about it. The principle of light over the principle of darkness. The principle of knowledge over the principle of ignorance. This is all Booker T was doing. He's talking in principles. The principle that you're no longer going to be ignorant because I'm going to introduce the principle of education. That's how we talk about it. The principle of knowledge over ignorance. The principle of good over evil. The principle of life over death. But for heaven, beloved, listen to me. For heaven, for God, light is more than a principle. Life is a person. Life is a person. When God promised to send his light, he wasn't promising to reveal a principle. He was promising to send a person. Somebody's coming. Who will embody and have light in him. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. God is pleased to bring his light, his mercy, his grace through a child. Through a child. Three times. Three times. A child is mentioned in this section of Isaiah. Three times. In chapter 7, the child is promised. In chapter 8, the child is given. But in chapter 9, in chapter 9, the full revelation of the child promised to Judah is the child that would change the world. Because this is no ordinary child. I said this is no ordinary child. This is the child of God's light and his life. This is the child of his mercy and his grace. This is the child that is no ordinary son. We've seen God use sons before. We know how God uses sons. He used the son of Abraham. He used Isaac. He used Moses. He used David. But here is coming one more remarkable than Isaac. Here is coming one more blessed than Moses. Here is coming one more gifted and godly than David. This child would be greater. 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 Because he's not the son of Abraham. He's going to be greater because he's not the son of Jesse. He's going to be greater because this one would be the son of a sovereign God. Born sovereign. Born sovereign. Not subject to government. But over and above all human rule. Earthly governments, you do understand, beloved. Earthly governments stand on the shoulders of those who come before them. Not this one. Not this one. This child would not stand on the shoulders of those who come before him. But they would be upon his shoulders. would be the foundation of all government's rule and authority. This son whom the Colossians who Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 
the son that is the, the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The government shall be upon his shoulders. He does not stand on the shoulders of others. All will be on his. Because he is a counselor and a comforter, most wonderful. Most wonderful. You want to know what to do? Then you ask him. Ahaz, ask him. You want to know what to do? Take counsel with him. You need help? Call him. You need help? Call on him. Because literally, what the text is saying, literally what the word is, is that he is a wonderful planner. That's what it means. When it says that he is a wonderful counselor, it means that he is a wonderful planner. He knows how to plan your life. He knows... He knows the plans he has for you, the Bible says, Jeremiah 29, 11. That's the Bible say. He knows the plans that he has for you. Plans for your welfare, not evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. This is the wonderful counselor, the wonderful planner, the mighty God, all-powerful, victorious God. He will be no ordinary man, but he will be the God man. He will be the God man. He will be the one that the wind and the waves obey. He will be the one to whom Satan will bow down. He will be the one in the face of sin and sickness will have to flee. What manner of man is this who came and gave his life for me? This is the one. The mighty one, the mighty God, the eternal father, the preeminent peacemaker. He is Jehovah Shalom. He will be Jehovah Shalom. He will come in peace, bringing peace, proclaiming peace at his birth. The angels will declare peace to the world. His life will bring peace to all those who believe. His peace will be an everlasting peace because he will embody eternity. Everlasting. Everlasting, Father. No end, no end, no end to the increase of his reign. No end to the increase of his rule. He will body eternity. His light will be an everlasting light so that God here promised to turn on a light that will never be turned off again. 
God promised to send the light that would never need to be replaced. You won't need to replace it. There is a light that doesn't need to be replaced. There is a light that once turned on never gets turned off. And this is going to happen. I said this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is what God says to Isaiah. Isaiah, you let them know. This is going to happen. How do we know it's going to happen? Well, the Bible says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Oh, this is, this is, this is going down. This is going down. This is going down because this person, this person is God's passion. This person is God's passion. And there is nothing that the Lord God himself wants more than to bring this person to pass. This is God's heart's desire. This is his zeal. This is his passion. This is his pleasure. Nothing God wants more than to turn the light on in the midst of darkness. So there's no need to worry. There's no need to wonder if it's true. Because it is. I said it's true. I know. I know some things sound too good to be true. This is one of them. Sounds too good to be true. Sounds too good to be true. But you know what, beloved? God's promises always sound that way. That's why we don't believe them. But God's promises always sound that way. When he promises that all your sins are forgiven. Sounds too good to be true. But it is. But it is. All things work together for good. Sounds too good to be true. But it is. But it is. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Sounds too good to be true. But it is. But it is. And you know why? Because Christmas is a real thing. Christmas is a real thing. Christmas is something for kids. Fantasies. Toys, cartoons, Christmas is a real thing. And if you ever thought about it, Christmas sounds too good to be true. Really? Santa Claus? Down the chimney? Toys? Reindeer? Middle of the night? Wake up? Rejoicing. Sounds too good to be true. But here it is. Here's the promise of Christmas. The promise of God is that Christmas is coming. Not Santa Claus. Not reindeer. Not toys down the chimney. But unto us the Son is given. 
Unto us, beloved, he comes, he comes, he comes. Christmas is coming. That's the promise that God makes here to his people and to the world. Christmas is coming. And you know what? The Grinch couldn't stop it. And you know what? The Burgermeister couldn't prevent it. And you know what? Herod couldn't kill it. And you know what? Satan couldn't steal it. Guess what, Grinch? He came, he came, he came just the same. He came. He came. And when the first Christmas came, beloved, listen. So too did the light. The light came. The light was turned on. This is what Christmas is. This is what Christmas is. This is why you need to put up lights. Put up all your lights. Turn all your lights. Let everybody ask you, why you got them lights? Because light has come into the world and you can't turn it out. Keep them up all year long. Keep them up. It's what Christmas is. It is God sending the sun to lift the veil of darkness and reveal the light of the world, which is Jesus. Jesus. The light of the world. It's what he does. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was what? The light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Those people who dwelled in darkness and deep darkness on us has shown this great light. And that light is Jesus. The light that overcomes the darkness. The light that overcomes ignorance. The light that overcomes uh, injustice. The light that overcomes sin. The life that overcomes death itself. That's why I believe in light. That's why if you know me, I believe in light. When I come into a room, I want to turn on the light. Somebody open the curtains. Somebody let the light in. I believe in light, beloved, because I believe in Christ. The darkness comes. I know it does. The darkness still tries to creep in. I know it does. We are surrounded by it, and it steady tries to creep in upon our hearts and our minds. But listen to me, beloved. The darkness comes, but it doesn't come to stay because always remember the light of God's mercy is on its way. Jesus, the light of the world. So you walk in the light. Walk in the light. That's why we sing. Not just at Christmas. We sing it all year long. Hark the herald angels sing. Jesus, the light of the world. Glory to the newborn king. Jesus, the light of the world. So you walk in that light. Beautiful light. 
Come where the dewdrops of mercy shine bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus. Jesus. The light. The light. The light of the world. There are people who walked in darkness. But on them now, the light of God has shone. We walk in that light today and always. In the name of Jesus, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.